welcome back to Basic Bible 101. Today we are going to cover the lessons uh, beginning with the book of Judges and we are going to cover one of the judges. There are four primary judges in this book that we are going to study a little bit more closely although there are lots of judges in this book and I would encourage you to read all about all of them and the book is not particularly very long and in our last lesson we had left off with the book of Joshua and if you recall that during this uh, the time that um, the book of Joshua covers under Moses had uh, turned over the charge for the Israelite nation to Joshua and he had stayed behind and Joshua had led the Israelites across the Jordan River they had torn down the walls of Jericho under God's command and had begun to uh, take over the land of Canaan all the way from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. If you have a Bible that has maps in it look in the back and you will should see a, a map that covers uh, pretty much shows the geography of where the 12 tribes of Israel settled. Uh, in the student Bible it's map number four. If you do not have a map handy I have one on the website basicbible101.com forward slash maps. Uh, it's under the map area and there will be a, a link there for the map of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see how the Israelites began to spread out. Now because of this, they are, you know, they're very successful in conquering the people in the different places because the Lord's with them. They do have some struggles and in some areas they're not exactly able to totally route the people out of the area and drive them off. And so because of that, they end up making agreements with the people to have that they'll be slaves or they'll be... Um, pretty much at the dis uh, pay taxes etc to the Israelites and because of that these the people that are left in the in the land who were not Israelites the original uh, tribesmen are become a real thorn in the side of Israel because they begin to build up every so often and then they take over again so there's all these skirmishes that are taking place during the book of, of Judges and we will find over and over again that the reason that Israel has such a problem with this is because they had not obeyed when God told them you need to get rid of all the people that are there you know push them out destroy them whatever now I know that today that would not be politically popular to say we're going to go in and wipe out the people that are there that just would never fly but in in the time of the Old Testament uh, God was punishing Canaan and was saying this isn't your land and you need to you know you people need to be out of there basically and so he was giving Israel the land he had promised and so that's why it was always referred to as the promised land so Israel finally is able to all the tribes the 12 tribes are able to get into the promised land and to begin to set up homes and farms and vineyards and are experiencing quite a bit of success for the first time they have a place that they can stay because remember they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and were very glad to finally have a place to settle down so it is at this time that the Israelites each because they're so scattered uh, begin to look f uh, to the just the people nearby for their own form of government more or less. Now they knew that they were all responsible to 
whoever was the head of their nation, and at the time it had been Joshua. But Joshua died, and at the very beginning of the book of Judges, we're going to see what happens. So turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 1, the very beginning. We're going to read just some of the very beginning of this book. And and it sets the stage for what is becoming um, the typical way of living for the um, Israelites at this time. They're, they're very scattered and, be, and they're very um, interested in taking care of their own family. And if you think about that, if you had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, you would be very interesting to, interested in just settling down and developing some kind of normalcy. So the very first chapter of Judges, uh, verse 1, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered, Judah's to go. I have given the land into their hands. So we see that the tribe of Judah is basically made the ruling tribe, the um, the head tribe, as far as uh, leading them into the battles that they have yet to conquer. And you see that they're going into fighting the Canaanites. They'll fight the Pezzizites and all kinds of other ites out there. And in this process, they will win some and they'll lose some, but overall they, they win. And if they were had been faithful to just go ahead and push out the enemy, they would have been very successful. But because they were not, the people who remained, whether they made them slaves or whatever they did with them, whatever agreement they made, ended up causing them all kinds of grief. So at the very first little bit, when the people are kind of, you know, just getting their feet wet in their new place. The chapter 2 talks about an angel of the Lord that went up to, from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. So we see that God has already warned them, because they did not obey him, that they would constantly fight this battle with the locals. And if you think about it, it's very similar to in our own life. If we give Satan a part of our life, any little part, any little place where we are just not ready yet to turn that over to God, that we face it again and again. It it trips us up. It hampers our, our walk with the Lord. And so that's why God is so concerned about wanting all of us. Because the places that we leave for Satan to roam free in become... The, the very places where we experience defeat, discouragement, and are not able to fully enjoy uh, victory in Christ. And so we can see a lot of parallels with that here. In chapter 4, we're going to begin with uh, one of the first major judges, and this is Deborah. There are several judges before this, and I would encourage you to go ahead and read about the three or four that are right before her. And uh, what happens is each time the Israelites face a problem with the locals and they end up getting conquered by the locals then the Lord will they'll cry out to God and they say God help us we're we're in trouble again and God will cr rise up a judge for them in fact you can see this cycle very clearly in Judges chapter 2 look at verses 16 through 19 it says then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of their raiders so what had happened was that the raiders the locals would come and raid their land raid, uh, mess up their crops 
you know, destroy, steal from them, uh, destroy things. And so, you know, they just was a, was a constant problem for them. And then sometimes the locals would get so strong that they actually could conquer different parts of the tribes of Israel, different tribes or different little sections of a tribe. Uh, one of the challenges at the time was that some of the local Canaanites had developed the ability to with to have iron chariots. And so if you think back to Ben-Hur or any of those famous Roman chariot races that you saw, you know that the chariots were much more powerful and much more protected whoever was driving the chariot in time of war so that the other people who were fighting against the ones with chariots were more likely to lose. They just did not have the advantage in, in the military situation. So the Israelites got very intimidated because there were so many uh, Canaanites that were under the leadership of one main guy, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, Back to chapter 2, verse 17. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. So not only are the Israelites fighting for some kind of economic preservation, they're also giving up their total allegiance to the one true God and in many cases have begun to worship the idols, the local gods of the people who they've conquered. Now you would wonder, I would wonder, why would you possibly want to worship a God who obviously couldn't even take care of their own people? And God had already warned them about the danger of the idols in the land, of the false gods that the people there worshipped. And yet we find the Israelites doing the very same thing. Um, Back in our passage, uh, Judges 2.17, the next part of that says, Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. We see that they very quickly abandoned the truth that they had been taught. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Okay, so we see that we have a group of people who, even though they grew up with their parents teaching them truths about the one true God, they quickly abandon it for the local, uh, whatever's popular, the local culture. We have a tendency to do the same, I think, when we turn away from what we know to be truth that we have read in the Bible or that our parents have taught us and then adopt uh, elements of our local culture of what is popular at the moment that can really lead us astray. And so this is a, a danger in our lives as well, but we particularly see it in the case with the Israelites because they're a new nation and they really should be you know, coming together and building a strong nation under God. And instead, each one is pretty much going their own way. So for that reason, whenever the local Canaanites or whoever they are, Pezzazites, whoever they are at the time, whenever they get strong, they come and conquer the local Israelites who have moved in. And then those Israelites are oppressed and they cry out and say, God help us. And God being the gracious God that he is says, oh, okay, I'll send you a judge. Well, some of the judges that are before, right at the beginning, um, they're, they're 
good judges, but they they're they don't last very long. Partly because people didn't live very long, and then part partly because the people then would go back to their own old ways, and so it didn't take very long for God to say, "Okay, you know, I'm going to have to punish them again." So when we get to chapter four of the book of Judges, we see that there is a a judge who um, is living in the land. She is um, in the land near Bethel, and it's in the hill country of Ephraim. And if you can look at your maps, you can kind of see that that Ephraim is pretty much right in the middle of the um, territory. And what we see about this woman, her name is Deborah, is that she sits under this particular tree and people come to her and ask her advice. They um, use to consider her to be the final authority on disputes. And she becomes the um, uh, mayor or whatever you want to call ruling entity in the, in the area that she's at. Now, obviously not for all of Israel because that's too far to go to go listen to some woman under a tree. It's, I love this this example of Deborah because she's really one of the few women leaders that we see in the Bible. And I have heard over the years many, many different spins on this. Um, I've heard pastors say that the reason that it was a woman that was used was because the people were so corrupt and they couldn't, uh, they wouldn't follow God and so God just had to use whatever he could find. There was nobody he could raise up. Um, I've heard them say that this was an exception and women really should not be in any kind of leadership. I've heard all kinds of different spins on it. The honest truth is, in my heart, is that God can use whoever he wants to use. He can change the mind of kings. He can cause you kings to be crazy, as we see in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. And he can restore health. He can use whatever he wants to use. He's sovereign God. And obviously, if he decided this at this time, in this part of history, that Deborah was the woman, then I think it's awesome that he did. He could certainly have used a man. And he didn't. He decided, nope, this time I want to use her. So I have a lot of respect for that, and it gives me a lot of encouragement as a woman. But beyond all of that, it should give all of us such a wonderful sense of no matter where you are in life, no matter how lowly you think your job is or how disadvantaged your childhood was, God can bring so many wonderful things bubble up through you and and to serve the world around you. And so, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you were, I mean, really back then women were the low of the low. I mean, they didn't, couldn't loan, owned land. They really had no say. Their, their testimony wasn't even considered valid. So when you see that, that God then chose this particular woman and let her uh, assist the people of Israel in, in coming to some kind of a uh, conclusion that they were desperate for God, and she pointed them that direction. In fact, one of the first things we see about her, and we will read it here in just a minute, is that she calls forth for them to rise up against the the land, uh, against the rulers, uh, one in particular, who's oppressing them. And this particular ruler, the king of Canaan, his name is Jabin, Jabin has been just harassing the people horribly, and he has a commander of his army called Sisera. Sisera has a 900 iron chariots. So the people really have suffered under uh, Sisera, and they really are afraid to go to battle against him. So we see a time when 
uh, pretty much everybody kept a low profile. Now, in in all honestly, honesty, I want to also say that it's very likely because uh, Sisera and the King Jabin knew pretty much everything that was going on in their land that it's very possible that no man wanted to step up because they would instantly be killed. And the, the reason I suspect that is because we see that at the very beginning when Deborah calls forth uh, a young man named Barak and says, uh, Barak, uh, I want you to go and fight the uh, Canaanites. Instantly, the king knows that this has happened, that Barak has gone and talked to Deborah. So obviously, they were very well aware of what was going on, and maybe they just weren't that afraid of Deborah because she didn't pose a threat. Little did they know that anyone who God has anointed and given a special um, insight and trust in him and faith to be able to conquer great things, anyone can, can do impossible things because God is uh, a God that works through us. He allows us to join him in his work. So we see, okay, let's go to Judge four, Judges 4. And we at, let's start with verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Raman, Ramah, and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinamoam, from Kadesh in these far-off countries, and which was just another tribe, basically. And she says, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men, she describes where they should come from, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. Then she says, I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now Barak, when he hears this, says to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. There's been a lot of dispute about this, too. Why is it that Barak wouldn't go with her and go without her? Is it that she's some kind of good luck charm? Is she... You know, what What is it here? And what do you think about that? And take a minute to just wonder, why would he not want to go forth without Deborah with him? Obviously, she did have a lot of power in the area. She had a lot of influence. She was uh, obviously anointed by God. And so I think in some ways, he felt God's presence when he was with her. And so there would, that may have been part of it, too. So what is a prophetess? There's a lot of, dis- of discussion about that too. Is is it um, you know someone who preaches? What is, and there are plenty of women preachers in the world. I personally here think that, and I think this in any case, a prophetess is someone who speaks for God, that they have been in, t- in touch and been in prayer and have felt impressed that this that the Lord has something to say and they're able to say it. I think people that have this particular ability and this gift can be very influential because they feel very strongly that God has said we need to do this and of course there are always false teachers there's always false prophets and so you do have to determine is this truth or is this uh, just Satan trying to you know lead us astray but I, I think that anybody whether it's a male or a female prophet is speaking the words of God because they feel compelled to. That's part of their drive. I wished I had that gift. I'm not a prophetess. Um, Sometimes I felt like an oracle (laughs) where I can just sense, oh my gosh, God's going to do this. We need to 
we need to be prepared or we need to get ahead of it. But I would not say that that is a, a gift of prophecy because I think that prophets probably speak really well. And in my case, as you can see, I stumble over my words frequently. But as I've told you at the beginning, God can use anybody and it's wonderful that he can, isn't it? Okay, so so we find that Barak says, okay, if you'll go with me, I'll go. And Deborah agrees, I'll go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. All right, so once again, we see Deborah fully aware of who she is. She has not fooled anybody into thinking that she is anything more than just a woman under a tree who God speaks through. And because of that, she that basically nails Barak by saying, listen, I'm not God. You don't trust God to do this. And because you don't, you will not get the glory for that. And in the same way, I think sometimes we have to be very careful that we are not trusting people, but that we are trusting the God behind the people. Because honestly, people will fail you. They don't want to, but they do. Sometimes they do want to. But honestly, only God is the one that we can always count on. And so as the story continues, we see that sure enough, they go out to war and Barak is very successful. In fact, so much so that Sisera goes running off his, you know, all, even with the 900 chariots, they still couldn't compete with the army that God had put together through Barak. And at one point we see Deborah say, say to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak, sure enough, goes forth and his, his uh, army advances and they are able to completely rout the army of Sisera. Now Sisera, because he is uh, basically giving up, he abandons his chariot and runs off on foot. And he gets to a series of tents that are owned by Heber the, the Hittite. Oh, I'm sorry. Ken, Kenite, Kenite. Remember I told you about all these Anites? <laughs> um, and he thinks that this guy is a friend. He thought they had friendly relations between Jabin and Hazor, who uh, was from this clan of Heber. And so he thinks he's safe. And so he goes up to this woman and says, hide me, hide me, basically. And, and, and basically she says, her name is Jael. She says, come on in my lord just have rest here she gives him some milk to drink and she covers him up and he falls asleep because he's exhausted from fighting and sure enough then she goes and gets a tent peg and nails it into his head and every time I think about that I think of all the ways that a woman could kill someone it's not the one I would have guessed because it takes a lot of strength to hammer a, anything, a tent pig anywhere, let alone into the skull of a person. And how she managed to do that without waking him up, I mean, she must have just been really pretty strong. Or God must have been really pretty strong. And I think that's probably the better answer. So we see that Sisera is killed. And when they find out that it was a woman that uh, put the, temp, the tent pig through his temple, uh, everyone realizes that, you know, it must have been God. It must have been God because only God could work things out the way he did. And I love that. I love that when God puts us in impossible situations and we have to totally trust him. And here we see that so clearly. Chapter 5 is the song of Deborah and Barak as they're coming back from the battle and they're rejoicing in all that God has done. And again and again they say, you know, 
it's a great God. Look at how he has provided for us. Look at all he did during our time of wandering. And now he's even protected us through this. I see that in this, this wonderful um, poem, this wonderful song that they sing, God is, is totally honored. And what a great time it is for the people of Israel. And you would think, oh, wow, then they probably really changed their ways. And honestly, they did change their ways for a while. One of the other reasons that I think that this woman really was destined for leadership is it, does, it doesn't stop there. It's not then that Barak takes over and becomes the leader and the uh, judge of the nation. He doesn't. Deborah continues to judge for, what is it, another 40 years, I think. Yes, we see that at the very end of chapter 5, that the land had peace for 40 years. So it's very comforting to me that God continues to bless these people and watch over them, and they are continuing to worship the one true God. And as soon as they fall away, as soon as they turn their eyes from God and begin to follow the local uh, idols and, and uh, gods that are lesser gods, then they... God turns his face from them, and once again, they are oppressed. And we will see that next week with the story of Gideon. That for 40 years they were okay, and then once again, they face the same, basically the same battles again. All right, so let's do some conclusions here. We've seen that all, all, we all have gods in our lives that draw us away from God. And those gods are things that we have to destroy, and we have to give them back over to the Lord. Um, one of the things I do when I teach this class in person is I hand out little bits of Play-Doh and I say, okay, while we're talking about this lesson, I want you to fashion something that is an idol in your life. In my case, I usually make a little piece of brownie or <laughs> something that is food-oriented because that tends to be an idol for me. But in your case, it might be a television set, a computer screen, um, a sport that you spend all of your time doing that you just basically love more than you love God. Anything that draws your attention away from God, God so that you spend more time on that. And it could be physical exercise. It could be uh, anything. It could be some a person. But if they're drawing your attention so that you don't have time for God and you don't really listen to God anymore and you don't want him, then you can bet they're a false idol in your life and you need to destroy that. You need to take that and say, I, this will no longer draw me away from God and turn away from it and move in the direction that God uh, is so that you can draw close to the Lord and not allow whatever that is to draw you away. Okay, <clears throat> we've also seen that Deborah was a wise judge because she courageously acted on what God promised. It's one thing to believe God and to say we believe God. It's another thing to act on that faith. And really, faith come, be, is faith when we step out on faith, when we say, okay, I believe this is God. I believe this is what he wants me to do, and I will do it. Uh, it's easy to say, oh, yes, God is doing this, and this is great about God and everything. Words are cheap. Actions carry a lot more weight. And so when you think about uh, standing up for the Lord, think that it's going to probably require some action of some kind from you. And having the courage to trust God in that is is very uh, is a big key to being successful. And then finally, the peace in Israel was always dependent upon the spiritual condition of the people. When they were following God, there was a peace in their life. And when they were not, 
the Lord allowed them to be just taken over and <clears throat> just destroyed in so many ways. So um, in your homework, I want uh, if you've been if you got the book and if you've been doing the homework, hopefully you took a moment to go through some of this and said we're able to say um, what areas in your life would you consider an idol and why, and then uh, to read and just see um, what what God was doing in at this time in the in the people of Israel. Because they were so scattered, it was very difficult for the people to have any kind of success for any length of time, too. Because, remember, they had to call an army from all over a vast area. It wasn't like they were all housed in their military barracks. That was certainly not the case. So when God provided peace, he really did have to be the one providing the peace because they didn't have uh, just an army ready to go. <clears throat> Next week, we will see that... The people have turned away from the Lord again and once again are saying, uh, God, help us, help us. We've been taken over by the Moabites. And in this case, we'll meet a young man named Gideon. And Gideon, oh, I'm sorry, not Moabites, Midianites. And Gideon will, uh, an angel will appear to Gideon and uh, call him forth as their next judge. And he doesn't really like the idea. So so we'll have a lot of fun next week learning about um Gideon. So, but for today, that's pretty much the lesson we um, of Deborah. I do want to encourage you to continue to read, though, uh, all the way all all the books of Judges or all the chapters in Judges, and even read ahead if you can, because you know we move very quickly in this uh, course. The next thing too, there is a quiz online, and that will help you review what we've done already. It's quiz number two, I believe. And if you can take a minute to go through quiz number two, and just remind yourself some of the lessons, uh, you know, some of the things we've covered already, and that will help be a recap and a summary, and remind you of where we are in this series. So until next time, I want to say thank you for listening. Uh, send me your comments if you can, and be blessed. Music